if I really actually give myself to wanting from God and then I don't receive, like, can I still have the faith? Hello, and welcome to Working with me, Dan Doriani, hosting a podcast where we explore faith, work, culture, and the way believers can make a difference in their corner of the world. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Jen Pollack-Michelle. She's an author, several books. I'll mention them in a minute. All wonderful works. Mother of five. I'm really interviewing her because I love honest writers. And uh, Jen, you're an honest writer. Uh, You said things like, churches disappoint, and it's hard to truly, fully trust the gospel. You say that as a Christian writer. Part of you thinks that faithfulness includes fighting yourself. You also describe a foolish flirtation you had with a married man when you were kind of a newlywed, and you're just such an honest person. Uh, With me today, who helped me get Jen Michelle on the show, is Abby Karsten, who is the Women's Minister Director at a prominent PCA church, and she also happens to be my daughter, so she's going to be participating in this interview today. Glad to be here. Thank you. My first question, Jen, before I even introduce you is, is it easy for you to be honest? You're an honest writer. Is that a choice? Is that something that just comes out of you? What would you, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I could, I could tell you an interesting story from college, but I won't go back that far. But I would say that most people would characterize me as a pretty honest person. Um, and I do feel like honesty sometimes lacks in the church while it doesn't lack in the biblical witness. Mm. Um, I feel like the Bible is so honest. I think the Psalms are incredibly honest. You know, I think the whole story of salvation is about people who are broken and how God in his mercy rescues them. And so I've just wanted to kind of bear a similar witness to my own experience of faith, I think. And so it feels very necessary. I will say that writing your first book in a very honest way is different than writing your fifth book in an honest way. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's true. But on the other hand, it sort of (laughs) establishes who you are, right? So um, I, I, I preach almost every week. And I find that if you start off being kind of brutally frank on weeks one, two, and three, you don't get in trouble when you're brutally frank at week 12. <laughs> so, like, what's under, what's bothering him? No, he's always that way. It's just the way he is. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so you have written a number of books. The one that um, I've spent the most time with is Teach Us to Want, which is, I guess, your first major book, solo book, which uh, won a Book of the Year award from Christianity Today, which is, uh, that's a very nice accomplishment. And uh, you wrote it to correct a mistaken idea, and that is the idea that the more we fight our desires, the more we fight our natural inclinations, the better we are. Just to, would you explain your big thesis to us a little bit? I, I don't even think I had words exactly when I was writing the book. It's fun to sort of like finish a book and then like teach, you know, the material from a book. And you're like, oh, I now have it a little bit more distilled. Um, mm. At least that's the way it works for me. So as I've taught about Teach Just One, I, I really very simply say, I think the biblical um, account gives us, you know, a reason for the call of desire, but the caution of desire. Mm. And I think what I was trying to correct was that I only had a story of caution. Mm. And Teach Just One, you know, tells why, you know, that I had a prodigal story. You know, I was mm. raised in the church. And it was desire that led me off the cliff, so to speak. And so to come back to Jesus, when I was 16, you know, I feel like I 
packed a lot of a lot of sin in, I think, in my early adolescence, I felt that that meant I had to sort of like tamp down desire. Mm. I had to smother it or maybe like extinguish it altogether. Mm. And I don't think that I had a lot of good messages about desire. Like mm. I actually would be curious, Dan, have you ever preached on desire? Is that even like a theme? I mean, I would just say that in my growing up, I don't know that I was really un given a framework for understanding it. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that like a lot of people, I probably unwittingly grew up with the influence of Kant, which is sure. the best thing you can do is, is fulfill your duty. And my dissertation happened to be on the Puritans, English Puritans, and they were talking about duty all day, every day. I mean, they'd yeah. go through Ephesians chapter four and say, and 23 duties proceed from this. And uh, of course, then you have to do your duty. So I probably had um, grown mm -hmm. up with a grit your teeth and do the right thing. But over the, you know, of course, I've read some Jonathan Edwards and Augustine and others, John Piper, who say, um, you know, there is such in these godly desire. When you have to follow a godly desire, a godly love, it makes everything easier. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about parenting, for example, I'm always talking about how lovely it is to have children, how beautiful and how sweet they are. And of course, you also have to control yourself when they've been screaming all night and you're tired the next day. So uh, yeah, I've, I've worked on that myself. Could you give us those, those two words you said, the caution of desire and the blank of desire? And the call of desire. Yeah, right. Yeah. What does you that know? mean? You, we got the caught. You explained the caution. What's yeah, the call? the call is that we are made in the image of a desiring God. So mm -hmm. I think to be made in the image of a desiring God means that desire is a part of the human experience, actually a very good and right part of the human mm -hmm. experience. And, you know, the more that I really started to engage with the language of you know, Romans, like you're buried with Christ and then raised to walk in newness of life. Right. You know, it's like, well, something comes out of the grave. Mm -hmm. And Paul tells me, actually, it's a new self. And it's a self that is meant that God is working in this self to will and to work according to his good pleasure, not just to work. You know, I mean, we know that. And that's sort of the duty message, but to will and to desire. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that that is like a significant evidence of the movement of the Holy Spirit is when we start to want things that in our natural, you know, man, in our flesh, we wouldn't want. Like mm -hmm. who who wants to um, lose their life in order to save it? You yeah. know, who wants to take up their cross to follow Christ? Like in, if you were only in your natural, you know, unredeemed self, but the fact that God could work in you, that that could actually become your desire, I think is, is, is an evidence of something supernatural at work. Um, yeah. God at work in you, working in you to walk in newness of life. Yeah. Can I, I teach, jump in? Uh, sure. Is sure. that all right? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So I use this book as a summer book club that teach us to want. And People didn't like it at first. So I'm a women's ministry <laughs> uh, director and I picked these books. I think, you know, these are maybe books that you wouldn't read on your own. So I'm going to bring them to you. And this is, you know, this is what we're doing. And a lot of the women said, well, I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't sure about the title. And in the process mm. of talking through it, they, they started to warm up 
to it. And I think that's really important to show people that, like you're saying, we don't just have to pay attention to our duty all the time, that godly desires is part of being a new creation, that Mm -hmm. we can start to pay attention. We're allowed, we're given, you know, the gift of paying attention to our desires with a holy caution as well. Mm -hmm. And we're already wanting, right? Abby, like I I think anybody who is being honest about their human experience would have to say like, there are things that I want, you know, and I can't just stop wanting them, you know, because I decide. Right. Um, And so wanting is already part of our experience. So Mm -hmm. imagine then bringing this part of our lives into the presence of God. It's already in the presence of God, but, you know, in a very intentional way, like Mm -hmm. search me, oh God, and know my heart, you know, teach Mm -hmm. me to want. And Mm -hmm. the whole book is, of course, you know, as you know, just an how the Lord's Prayer apprentices us in that Mm -hmm. language and lexicon of holy desire. And so I approach it from a slightly different angle when I uh, teach Greek, which I still do occasionally. I used to teach it all the time. And we get to the word Greek word for desire, and, you know, the student's just ready to, to uh, you know, we have to crush our desires and, and turn away from evil <laughs> desires. And I say, well, you know, that's definitely true. We should definitely turn away from selfish ambition, but there's also good ambition. And, and a, you know, it's a minority, but a fair minority of the time when the word desire is used in the Bible, it's positive and constructive. And as you say, that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. You say in page 29, desire is primal. And you say to be human is to want. So here's my, Mm -hmm. um, you know, slightly tongue in cheek, you know, Freud would probably agree with you if he were here. He might handle your comment in a slightly different way. How would you, what would you say if, if Freud were in the room and say, my goodness, Jen, you, you Christian, you're so, you're so much on my side. (laughs) Well, I would say that we're not prey to our desires. Mm. I mean, I'm not an expert on Freud, but I think, you know, just sort of to examine our cultural context, which I would assume, you know, has inherited a lot of ideas from, from Freud and those like him is just that, you know, we have our desires, they rage within us, and the best kind of most psychologically healthy place is to just sort of give in to those. Don't Mm -hmm. live in contradiction to your most um, primal desires. And I think um, the hope of the Christian is that we're not actually prey to our desires. Mm -hmm. And we are submitting our desires to God to be formed um, into his holy desire. I mean, that's the prayer of the book is Mm -hmm. teach me to want, teach me to want. Um, and not just teach me on a cognitive level, you know, like teach me the things that I should want, because I think a lot of Christians would probably say, like, I know what I should want. That's actually not really the problem. The problem is that I don't want as I should want. So imagine Freud, you know, that I believe in a power that, you know, the Bible tells me raise Jesus from the dead, that actually could exercise the power to convert my desires, mm-hmm. to transform them, to rescue me from the stranglehold of my own selfishness. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a prey and a victim to my desires. I can't think of anything more hopeful than that. I can imagine yeah. there are a lot of people listening. And, and I mean, just for me, myself, you know, I mean, I live every day with contradicted desires. And I think that's what Paul is testifying to in Romans 7. I want um, the things I shouldn't, 
um, that I, and I, I love the things I should hate and I hate the things I should love and who will rescue me from this body of death, you know, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Agreeing with all that, um, your, <laughs> your big, your big idea is however, that, you know, our desires can be nurtured, can be ordered. Yeah. And I'm just going to, yes. you know, remind your, you know, you, so you're married, you have five kids, you're an author, you're a speaker at events from uh, time. I don't know exactly how often you speak at events, but you certainly speak at events. And, and then you probably other desires like things you like, like food or hiking or swimming or whatever um, pastimes or hobbies you enjoy. So how do you go about ordering your desires? I mean, I, you know, you say it a little bit, Augustine says it, Edward says it, various people say, not only is it true that we have good desires, but we also have to rightly order our good desires. Yeah. So for example, I like to eat chocolate milkshakes, but that needs to be pretty low on my list of mm. desires, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a bad desire. How do you go about, how do we go about ordering our good desires? What would you say as a mom and an author and a wife? Yeah. And so I mean, I think you're posing the question that really is the, the million dollar question, because I mean, so often we're just thinking on the level of like, should I want this or should I not want that? You know, kind of like yes or no, but it's not, it's more like this very good thing. Is this something to want for now? Is this something to want in this way um, at this time, you know, in this relationship, in this context? And I, I don't know, Dan, I, I wish I had, like, I don't think there's a formula. Number one, I think the really exciting thing when we talk about desire is that it is the thing that can bring us most honestly and vulnerably into the presence of God. Hmm. And, um, and that is, he is the one who rightly orders our desires. And I think often, you know, we sort of imagine like I can only come to God with, you know, the holy baptized desires. Hmm. Um, you know, I better get it all straight in my own heart before I like actually say, you know, um, Here I am, Lord. You know, God, our Father. Um, <laughs> right. But imagine that I could just sort of say, it's a mess in there. I don't know exactly how to rightly order all of this. I will say that I think we already know that we as a culture, um, you know, we have desi- certain desires that are being formed in us that they, I think, number one, we just have to like be cautious about. Mm-hmm. I bet you guys have your, you know, have your list. I'll, I'll put that question to you guys. Like, what are sort of those immediate kind of desires that you think as, you know, just as the cultural conversation goes on, people just automatically assume this is a good, I want this and this is a good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll let, well, <coughs> I'll let Abby thing, go this first. This isn't exactly an answer yeah. to your question, but the first thing I think of, because this is what comes up, for people that I regularly talk to are the desires that are technically good that we want so badly that God isn't granting for one reason or the other. And yeah. that's that's where I think you take your vulnerability to God. God, yeah. I want a child yes. and, I, and I'm not having a child. I want a spouse and that's not coming. I want a better job. I want to get out of this place. And it could be very good and right. And yet we sit with that and we say, you want this and you know in friends or, or other people in the church who pray please just take this desire away from me if you mm. aren't going to give it to me and sometimes god doesn't take the desire away yeah. and he doesn't give the the thing and so yeah. that's that's something you sit with and wrestle with for a long time and hope you have friends that come along and just sit in that with you yeah i mean that fundamentally like so often what we want from god is like we just want our 
kind of our own outcomes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I, here's my script, God, if (laughs) my, you know, if you could only do X, Y, and Z, I want to say Z because I live in Canada for 11 years, but you know, here's my list. And like you said, they're all really good things. And I've been a pretty good girl and you're a good God. And so why not? Um, And it kind of forces us back to like, well, what, what does God, you know, I think about my pastor actually years ago, I'll never forget this. Um, He was celebrating a birthday. I don't remember what birthday it was. And I wasn't at that time on staff at church. And um, somebody said to him, you know, what do you want in the year ahead? And um, he said, he kind of got teary eyed and said, you know, one thing I ask of the Lord, you know, one thing I seek you know, to be, to behold the beauty of the Lord in the temple. And I'm not quoting that exactly right, but man, I mean, I bore witness to that and thought, Mm. oh, that's not me all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'll answer. I'll give you my answer to my uh, false desire question you put to us. I want to stay in my groove, the groove of whatever I'm doing well at the time. So if I'm preparing lectures, I want to keep preparing lectures. So I'm doing sermons. I want to keep doing that. If I'm I'm a tennis guy. If I'm playing tennis well, I want to play as much as I can. What I don't want to do is uh, fill out my expense report ever. I would rather just lose the money. (laughs) It's just not worth it. And I never want to grade a bad paper again. I look at the papers. I read the first paragraph. This is a good paper. I'll I'll grade this one. This person can't put a sentence together. I don't want to grade this ever. (laughs) So those those are my desires. They're very evil. I mean, I do have to dis. I do have to do my duty. I mean, sometimes you you, you know you just have to grade some yeah. papers that were written poorly by people in order to help them do better. I mean, they're not they're not lacking in talent. They just didn't have the time or weren't coached correctly. So that's my honest answer about desires. Yeah, we want for our own comfort and convenience. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to tell us in the United States of America that that is wrong. Um, yeah. And it and it, you know I. I think fundamentally, like God wants for our flourishing. So, you know, we could make a very nuanced argument about how Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know, it's okay to want for our own flourishing. God wants that. But what do we do when we find ourselves in Job's situation? I mean, you know, which is just, I just happen to think of him because I just finished Job in my Bible reading plan, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, this goes back to the question that we started with, you know, what do you do with a verse in the Bible? I was reading it in Robert Alter's translation. You know, I call to God and I am not answered. Like that Mm -hmm. was sort of the Mm -hmm. verse Mm -hmm. that just Mm -hmm. sort of rang out. Now Mm -hmm. it's in the middle middle of the book. It's not the end of the story, Mm -hmm. but, and a particular moment in time, I mean, that's what you're talking about, Abby, right? Right. For a particular moment in time for the women that you minister to, if they're just to kind of like slice open their life and look at time like that, and they can't see the beginning and the end, that's what it feels like. I call right. to God and I am not answered. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel fair. And it doesn't feel like God could be good. And that's really, I feel like actually all my books are really pressing on that question. Like, can God be good if life is not? Mm -hmm. Um, Because just, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much grief in my own story. Um, And I think that's another reason why, you know, I mean, the prodigal aspect of desire was certainly hesitation. Like, I have this prodigal story and like, I can't trust myself to want. But there's another element of, man, life has already been hard. Like, if I really actually give myself to wanting 
from God and then I don't receive? Like, can I still have the faith? Mm -hmm. Will I sustain the faith mm -hmm. that he's good? So maybe right. better just to like play it safe. And that's what I always kind of noticed is like nobody really wanted to take their real risk and desire um, in prayer. I mean, how many times have you like prayed in a group, prayed in a, you know, prayed with other people and, you know, the tap, the, you, at the end of the prayer, it's tacked on, you know, but your will be done. Mm -hmm. And that may very well be, you know, I surrender everything to you. And it may also be, but lest, you know, you not come through with this one. I know. didn't really want it that much. Yeah. So, you know, I <laughs> so said, you're really done. It's like, I want it, but you know, I really don't. Okay. So it'll it's be okay. okay if it doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. Um, you're you're getting on the cusp of uh, a topic that both Abby and I want to ask you about, and that is uh, it comes from your other books. So you've been talking about one book, teaches to want so much, but you've also written a book about home, keeping place, and you're also working on a project about disciplines, I guess you could call it, or habits. And mm -hmm. you know, people tend to view the spiritual disciplines and the life of uh, desires antithetical to each other. But you know, the really good books about that. Uh, like, uh, I don't know, Richard Foster's book and Dallas Willard's book, which are just such classics, uh, talk about love and they talk about the disciplines side by side. They're very careful to do both. And I'm guessing you're going to end up in the same place because you want to you, you like to talk about desires, but you also like to talk about habit formation mm -hmm. and how to make a home. And making a home is not a matter of just wanting stuff you have to come up with a schedule and a way of doing things, and you have to resist, uh, I'll say, missteps. I, you know, just stick one more thing in before you comment. Um, it just intrigued me. I was, somehow or other, I found out that two of, reading your books, that two of your favorite books are about people trying to make a home. Jaber Crow, mm -hmm. who finally finds his home in a cabin with no electricity in the wilderness. I'm not trying to give the story away. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, there's a lot more to it than so finding beautiful. a cabin. But I mean, he's always looking for a home. And Leela by Marion Robinson is also about a woman who, to her amazement, finds, <laughs> finds a home in a, in a drafty parsonage. So those are stories about homemaking. You're interested in homemaking and about the disciplines of that. So just, tell, just spin out your thoughts about that a little bit. And then Abby's going to ask you a follow-up question. Well, to start with the connection with habits and desire, I mean, I'm really influenced by James K. Smith on this. And I remember mm -hmm. when I was writing Teaches to Want, before I wrote uh, Teaches to One, I read his book, Desiring the Kingdom, which mm -hmm. was, you know, the precursor to You Are What You Love. And I remember in that book learning that, you know, habits are sort of the hinge of desire, I think is is the way that he would put it. Like, you can't get at your your desires directly you know, you can pray for God to transform your desires, to baptize you, your, your desires, to raise them to newness of life. Um, but then what what is that participation element? You know, what are the ways that we kind of work as God wills in mm -hmm. us? You know, I mean, these this is the huge paradox of Christian faith, you know, is that it's done to us and for us and with our efforts as well, you know, I mean, we don't just sort of wait for God to strike us with a lightning bolt. So habits can be a way to cultivate good desires. You know, mm -hmm. for example, you can pray to love your really cranky neighbor and then avoid them, you know, or you could deliberately put your path, yourself in the path of transformation, borrowing language there from Dallas Willard, and, you know, engage them more often so that 
as you pray for your desires to change towards your neighbor, you're actually like practicing that. You're creating a pathway for it to You're happen. creating a pathway. And mm. I mean, we know this actually, I mean, God's made us in these incredible ways where we're actually creatures of habit. And mm. I think a lot of times we think that we're operating on a really cognitive level, like I'm moving through the world and I'm making these choices according mm. to the beliefs and the values that I have. Well, there's a lot of kind of, of our kind of, just the way that we inhabit the world is very much by routine and habit. And we sort of fall into the familiar as you were talking about. Um, and that actually is something that we do like as humans because, you know, it sort of reduces the burden of choice and mm -hmm. um, decisions. And so my question as, that I'd like to put to people and really, I mean, I've been putting it to myself for many years now is like, what are the desires I want to be formed in? And what are the habits that are going to support the formation of those mm -hmm. desires? Yeah. You know, and we could talk about home. One of the things that I realized, I mean, went into the project of writing Keeping Place, thinking that it was a desire book. I'm going to write about my desire for home mm. and how that connects to the gospel story, which mm. I do believe is a desire for home. Um, home, you know, our home in God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You know, we could just sort of reformulate that in the language of home. But what I realized was, oh gosh, it's not just about God making a home for me, but me making a home and, and his people making a home for others in the world. I don't think it's just women who do this work. I think mm -hmm. it's men too. Mm -hmm. right. Um, and so that, I wanted to talk, and this is, you know, my alliterated way of talking about it. And I didn't talk about it like this in the book, as I didn't talk about call and caution of desire and teach us one, <laughs> keeping place, this language came later, but the benefit and burden of home mm -hmm. and that burden piece I didn't have initially and came mm -hmm. into realizing, well, that's the work that God's people take up in the world mm -hmm. um, as the hands and feet of Christ. I read this book first when I had a baby and a toddler and I was working three part-time jobs in addition to caring for them about 20 hours a week when my husband was at work. And it was invigorating and it was a balm. It was it mm. was soothing to my soul. So, and I listened to it and read it, but you know, mostly oh. listened to it because that was where I was. Um, <laughs> yes. And I loved hearing that my work um, not just parenting, but creating a home and hospitality for my family was mirroring God's work. That was really mm. helpful. And I hadn't thought of it that way, that God welcomes us, and so then we can welcome others. And you write at one point, to love is to labor. This is true in our families that is in the world. And then also di domestic lives, sorry, lives and rhythms of spiritual practice requires a kind of liturgy or routine an anchoring weight against disordered desires that greet us every morning. But this is this is my question, and it is an honest question. So I agree with this so wholeheartedly. I love the ideas that, that habits help us move through the world. But I see in myself, um, maybe more now with some new self-awareness, that I have a tendency to hold on to those liturgies as a kind of salvation in themselves. Mm. And if, you know, if I can just do the day-to-day -day things that need to be done, I will just move through the world <laughs> and things will mm -hmm. be okay and I can push back the effects of the fall. I guess my question is, do, you know, what would you say to somebody who struggles with that? Or have you ever, you know, you know I, I would rather sometimes, cr you know, create a 
calm space for my child rather than actually calm them when they're screaming. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather get the playroom organized. Right. (laughs) Rather than get the child in the playroom. The the messiness that comes from human interaction that that doesn't fall neatly into place (laughs) with a liturgy or a habit. Oh, gosh. I was appreciating this question, Abby, because I thought, you know, we... I think one of the things that's just so easy to do as a writer is you're correcting for yourself, but you're kind Mm. of forgetting sometimes the other things that need to be not corrected, but you know, just the other ways that people Mm -hmm. struggle with things. Um, And so, you know, as I've worked on rule of life stuff now, so I'm offering some rule of life workshops. um, We talk about the givens of our lives, you know, um, the desires that arise in our season of life and then the habits that sustain that. But those are those are like steps two, three, four. And, you know, there's a fifth step. The first one is you have to live an abiding life in Jesus Christ, you know, mm-hmm. that apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's not just a, you know, well, I'm going to seek God as I write my, you know, list for the day and then take off, you know, um, and, you know, for leave my kind of quiet time behind. But the abiding life is, is the moment by moment, every day, daily dependence on Jesus to know that anything that I do, like any good habit I have, if it is not from the love of Jesus flowing through me, like it's, you know, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I, I, I give away my body, um, to be burned and it is worth nothing. Um, so that sounds like a kind of a, maybe a cliche answer, but I mean, this is the, this is the Christian life Mm. is how do we live in union with Jesus Christ? How do we depend on him? How do we look for his direction on the habits that we need to cultivate? Because I think it's very easy to say, well, what I really want to cultivate is the habit of clean drawers. You know, <laughs> or whatever. And God's like, actually, I have some other things in mind. I'm having in mind. I'll just share one for my particular season. I'm caring for my mom who has Alzheimer's now. Um, She doesn't live with me, but she lives very close. And that's the reason why we moved from Toronto to Cincinnati. And like, oh, part of the habits that I'm trying to sustain right now, first of all, difficult relationship with my mom, difficult situation right now with my mom. And like uh, three times a week, I'm trying to see her, which is just, it's just a habit. You know, it's a habit. It's a liturgy of my week. It's not really what I want to do. But I do feel that it's just that those are habits that could support the the real desire that I do have is to be faithful in pilgriming alongside of her um, until she goes home to Jesus. But that requires a lot of dependence, you know, a lot of and a lot of honesty and a lot of community. Yeah, it's been delightful to talk so far with uh, Jen Pollock-Michelle and Abby Carson as we're discussing Teach Us to Want. And we'll take a little break and we'll pick it up there when we come back. Hi, I'm John Perkins, Executive Director of the Center for Faith and Work St. Louis. You've been listening to our podcast, Working with Dan Doriani. The Center also offers conferences on faith and work throughout the United States. Our goal is to equip formal and informal leaders to make a difference in their corner of the world. We equip Christian leaders to run 10-hour faith and work cohorts on three continents. Please visit our website at faithandworkstl.org to see how your church or organization can form a faith and work cohort for people who have 
or aspire to a leadership role in their workplace. Now, back to Dan. In keeping place in the chapter, Love and Marriage, the Routine Work of I Do, you write about the challenge of the monotony in the middle years. And you contrast it to God who seems to embrace it. The God who says, do it again to the sun. I think you quote Chesterton there. You know, do it again to the moon. As if he has an eternal appetite um, of infancy. God is never bored. Choosing his delight in what's predictable and well-worn. So I, I love this and I appreciate it. And I'm entering the middle years of, of marriage and, and parenting. But I'm, I'm wondering this. What if, what if I'm fine with the sameness? The problem is the ragged schedule that seems mm. to be normative in this culture that makes the middle years so untenable. No, I think you put your finger on it, really. You know, an entirely different problem um, is that we actually don't get sameness. Right. Interestingly enough, this book was prior to the pandemic. And mm. that was one of the things in I talk about in, in good time is just that sameness in the pandemic like was really wearing me down. And then really just trying to embrace that. And how, but to speak of the ragged schedule, I don't know if this was true for you. I actually missed it when it was gone did hmm. you guys you know well I, I had a really tumultuous uh covid season so okay. i didn't okay. have calm i'll just put okay. it that way for okay. various circumstances there, there is nothing about covid that season was... that i missed ever yeah. not for one <laughs> five different platforms for teaching class online in a span oh, of seven wow. weeks yeah there is oh there gosh. is there is nothing in that that is uh, even remotely uh, in re- remotely desirable by anyone but a crazy tech head, I guess. And mm-hmm. I'm not one of those. I guess going back to it, though, I just find that I would I would love to to lean into a time, like you said, of, of COVID, where we could be together, we could mm-hmm. we could see each other and have a pace of life that lends itself to reflection, to creativity, and. I feel like we're fighting that every day. We try to make choices to to push back, mm-hmm. and I'm sometimes I'm at a loss. Uh, isn't do do you think that one of the problems, Jen, is that I'll just say the three of us are you know relatively talented, energetic people, and we we're just asked to do a lot of stuff, and it all looks interesting, but we also have to do go through the ordinary activities of life, and I would say. Most people in this world are pretty energetic and pretty interesting and pretty talented. And so we're always reaching out for a little bit more. And then it was so exciting. And then it's here. And now our lives are disrupted by this um, very exciting trip, which we now realize we don't have time to pull off. Mm. Or this wonderful opportunity to join some group or do something. And now we realize we don't have time to prepare for it. I mean, I think this is such a great place to practice kind of examine, you know, is just to try to ask God to examine our hearts, search us. And, you know, one of the things I've talked about is just, you know, embracing, embracing the givens of our lives. Like if the ragged schedule is just part of a given set of reality, you know, you've got little ones, you're, I don't know, whatever it might be, 
you have and you just have to embrace it you sort of have to just say this is the ragged schedule is a part of like these givens and so lord i accept it um but the examine part of it is are there reasons that i choose it you know mm-hmm. like you were saying mm-hmm. dan do i choose it because it makes me feel important you know because it makes me feel full um or do i, I like choose new it because experiences I, maybe right know, or maybe just i just like to try new stuff i lack so courage I don't, yeah. I'm not clear on what my kingdom purposes is, are, you know, kind of my more narrow lane. So mm-hmm. it's a great, it's a great examine question. You know, what do mm-hmm. I really want? You know, what might drive this? Do I choose it or does it choose me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go to a couple fast questions. Light, I call it right, lightning round. So you have to, uh, the rule is you have to answer in less than 60 seconds Unless you go to 90 seconds, in which case you just went to 90 seconds. In which case you cut me off. <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll do <laughs> He's that. He's done anymore. it before. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, tell us the best book you've read or best thing you want people to know about author, writer, music, whatever. The best something and why. Small Things Like These, Irish novel by Claire Keegan. And I'm getting ready to read Foster, which is after Small Things Like These, and is supposed to be even better. I can't speak Mm. for that. Probably one of the most Christian books I've read, novels, in a long time. And I don't even believe that she's a Christian. I don't know for Mm. sure. But a very redemptive story. Can you repeat the book, the titles again? Foster was second, and what was the first one? Foster was second. Small Things Like These was first. Claire Keegan. Very, very good. Very short and small. Mm, I like that. Um, if you could do anything for one year and there are no logistical obstacles, you could take your kids and your husband with you or not, money's no object, no visas, nothing. What would you do and why? This is going to maybe sound too boring. I would go and teach at a college somewhere. Really? I what would I you would teach? I would teach writing. Yeah? Yeah, I would teach writing. I would teach literature and writing. And I would involve myself in mentorship opportunities on campus, I think. You know, somebody's going to hear this and they're going to invite you to teach at their college. I hope so. You know That's that. why I said it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's I'm probably just gonna... kidding. There's a few schools hey, in Cincinnati. I think it's... <laughs> I There's a lot of schools. There's a University of Cincinnati. They'd probably ask you to <laughs> yes, do it. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Okay. What would you like to celebrate in five years? I thought about this question. It's going to sound odd. I don't know if my mom will be alive in five mm. years. And I want to celebrate having lived this season well like alongside mm. of her. Like yeah. I actually want to come to the end of her life and I really want to like celebrate her, celebrate the time that we had together in the season. Mm. So mm-hmm. it sounds a little bit like morbid, but that's what came to mind. You know, that, that actually gets at something I wanted to say about the raggedness of schedules. Mm. And that is, um, hit me like a lightning bolt when I was working at a crazy pace, going, working for my PhD, part-time job, just work, 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 learning the language, reading, 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 writing papers. And somebody said to me, um, you need to receive the interruptions of your life, which include five-minute phone calls and somebody dropping by to talk to you. I had some responsibilities for some people at that time. Mm. Um, and I was kind of helping pastor a small church. So things, you know, there's a lot going on. And he just said, you have to receive those not as painful burdens, but as, as God-given appointments. And if you take it that way, I'm responding to your mother having 
Alzheimer's, which called you to move, which uprooted your family, and you don't have a great relationship with her in every way, and receive that as God's providential gift. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a friend of mine. I'm, I'm a tennis guy, and a friend of mine, um, we won a city championship together, and two months later, got cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, he found out, and he said, uh, Dan, would you visit me every week? And to either, either I'm better or I'm, or I'm with the Lord. And I got to tell you, I did not want to do it. <laughs> because mm. my, my life was so crazy, and the time to visit him was a bad time. And it was the sweetest and most lovely. For nine months every week, we spent an hour. We were only supposed to visit 20 minutes, but it always became an hour because it was so sweet. Mm. And you know, we, I received that as a gift, and I think that's part of what you're saying. And even, yes. Abby, you're mm-hmm. asking us to see mm-hmm. that, that um, these apparent interruptions and distractions that disrupt place are actually part of place. I've talked about receiving time, you know, yeah. as a gift. I think I've spent a lot of time trying to manage my life, manage my time, manage my schedule, manage my projects to get more done. Right, right. And and I've started to change the language of just even the way I think about my relationship to time. Like, can I receive this day, yeah. everything that it has to hmm. offer, you know, in the way of good and bad and uh, planned and unplanned. Um, and I actually also have a friend who has metastatic uh, breast cancer, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to see her. I saw her last November, and you know, to to speak to somebody like that, who knows what it means to receive mm-hmm. the gift yeah. of another day, um, yeah. <laughs> it does it does change your your perspective. So it's easy for me to kind of fall into like, oh, woe is me, and this is a hard season, but. That's why I thought, you know, celebrate. Like, could I celebrate mm. in five years? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that this was this was a sacred season. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Pollock Michelle has been our guest today. It's been delightful to uh, get to know you. I'm going to go ahead and just say something. We're we're uh, working on a book together right now on virtue and yeah. vice. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how I got to know you a little bit. Checking out who I want to work on this project with me. And I, I met you that way, and I'm glad to be working with you mm-hmm. uh, on that. So I commend the books of Jen Pollock Michelle. We've covered two of them, but she's written others. Check her out. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Working with Dan Doriani is a production of the Center for Faith and Work St. Louis. We seek to promote faithfulness in the workplace, in education, in discipleship, and in the stories of believers who've applied their faith at work. If you want to put your faith to work and change your corner of the world, visit our website, the Center for Faith and Work St. Louis. Look for faithandworkstl.org. That's one word. We'll help you start a cohort with like-minded believers who also want to practice their faith at work. This podcast is donor-supported. To keep us going, please donate on our website. Maybe more importantly, you can support us by listening, by subscribing, by sharing, by liking us, by posting us on your favorite platform, or go old school and tell a friend.